0: Everybody and welcome to the Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Pauly. Uh, I am excited for part two of my interview with Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason on his book, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming back on and joining me for part two of this discussion.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Ryan. Thanks.
0: You know, I had a great uh, – just learned a lot in just our first part um, discussing this kind of the the reasons why you wrote this book um, and then talking about tactics and just how to um, apply what you've written into conversation. And so I just want to encourage those of you that maybe are only catching the second part, go back and listen to the first part and kind of get everything that's leading up to what we're going to talk about now. And then also, if you have any questions or comments about our discussion today, Uh, You can email contact at coffeehousequestions.com, send a message on the Facebook page, or text in your questions or comments at 714-989-6927. So Greg, as we kind of jump back into discussing this book, um, or at least maybe actually one question before we get back in, what would be uh, advice that you would give to young people, young Christians, or even young apologists um, after your time in, in apologetics ministry?
1: That would be people that are wanting to have an impact um, specifically in apologetics. They're younger Christians, or are they just maybe older Christians that are just getting involved in apologetics? And uh, uh, how do you want me to direct my answer?
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm thinking of my students who, you know, they're in high school. Um, I'm teaching theology and apologetics, and there's, they're wanting to kind of get out and kind of make a difference. Right, um, right. What is kind of the most important thing maybe that they should know to kind of step out –
1: Well, I'll tell you, there's a a, a passage in Colossians that has really helped me, and it it gives a little three-point guideline, so to speak, and it's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And here's what Paul says. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. That's how he starts. So he says, okay, be smart. (laughs) Yeah. Then he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt— Okay. Be smart. Be nice. That is your second point. What a concept, right? Um, and then third, uh, so that you know how to respond to each person. Now, I think that's the tactical point. So, yeah. so what Paul says, simply put, is: look at be smart, be nice, and be tactical. That is, uh, try to try to um, tailor your comments and your interaction to that individual you're talking with. Uh, and don't just give them a, just a, a line and a bunch of slogans or whatever. Have a conversation with that person. Make the best use of it. This brings us back a little bit to the tactical issues that we talked about in our first uh, uh, segment together and, uh, and the book Tactics. But um, I think that th- that's very, very important. So that would be one thing I'd say. Follow that guideline from uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Be smart, be nice, and be tactical. Um, be individual. Treat the person as an individual and listen to what they say. Um, then as far as their own training is concerned, um, I would I would encourage them to build the foundation and uh, build, build a foundation. Uh, don't get into a bunch of second coming apologetics and, uh, you know, Start with the really, or or things, um, extreme, um, what, like uh, Bible codes and all these other things that may have some merit and value, but just stick with the basics. And what is that? Well, that would be the existence of God. That would be uh, the existence and person of Jesus. Okay. Um, Here, we're talking about the the reliability of the Gospels. And that will be the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. Uh, I mean, just very simple, straightforward things. Now, one thing I didn't mention, I didn't mention the Bible. What about defending the Bible? And my response is going to be this. Um, I don't, I think the idea that the Bible is the Word of God, the inherent Word of God, is absolutely true. But I do think that that is largely an in-house discussion. So I'm not going to get into a discussion with a non-Christian if I can, if I can avoid it, I want to, I, I don't want to get into a discussion with a non-Christian about uh, the Bible's inerrancy and that, you know, what about all these Bible contradictions and all that other stuff, because that those are rabbit trails that could drive you crazy. Um, rather, I'm going to want to just go to the Bible as a book that people of the ages have found is filled with wisdom and has had a salutary effect on individual lives and on individual uh, cultures. And and then go that way and then let the Holy Spirit do the work of convincing them that it's the word of God. What is more important is if we get to the Gospels, I want people to know, well, these are his, reliable historical documents. They tell us what actually happened. And um, well, what happened? Well, this guy, Jesus said a bunch of amazing things and then did a bunch of amazing things, including rose from the dead. And if you got the salient details of the Gospels that are historically reliable, man, that is a powerful defense for Christianity. I'm not downplaying the authority of the word. I use the word all the time. I'm summing it up and explaining it to people, but I'm not just—I'm not saying, "Well, the Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it. You ought to have the same attitude." Uh, I'm, I'm trying to sidestep that discussion because I don't think it's a fruitful discussion. Um, yeah. So that—that that would be my advice for your younger Christians.
0: Well, and I think that's a great point that you made. Is that. Just the idea of having a fruitful discussion, you know, when we talk, when we think about talking with family members or friends, it's a conversation. Uh, It's not just always trying to prove them wrong and and bring up these controversial issues or whatever it may be and show that you're right and they're wrong.
1: Uh, But
0: it's about asking questions, getting to know the person, having that conversation. And that's where really I think the fruit is and where growth is.
1: But sometimes
0: people think that when we talk about Christianity, well, now I, you know, I need to show them that it's true and I need to show them that they're wrong and I need to, you know, and it can lead to kind of this hostility maybe or just people getting upset in what we talked about before. Then that means that you lose if they've gotten upset.
1: Yeah. Well, this brings us to a point that's in the tactics book, which is really my goal in conversations. And that is I, I don't want to refute them. I don't want to prove them wrong. I mean, that's not my goal. My goal is just to put a stone in their shoe. Uh, give them something worth thinking about. Concept I call gardening too. You know, we're just gonna just gonna do a little gardening. Let's get them get them thinking. Yeah. And if I can put a seed of doubt in their mind, or or can offer some issues for them to consider. No, well, I'm I'm a happy camper. That's fine with me.
0: Yeah, and I think that getting them thinking uh, is. Crucial, and it's something that I want to get to in your book, The Story of Reality, which, for those of you listening, it just came out yesterday. It is a great book. You need to pick it up. Uh, but as we ended the last segment together, we talked about this confusion uh, in our culture about the truth, uh, but that really Christianity is a picture of reality. And, and you give an analogy, and I've used the same analogy in my classroom and found it very helpful with my students uh, in the past, uh, but you give the analogy of a puzzle. How does the picture, the story of reality and puzzle kind of fit together?
1: Well, the idea of a a, a story of reality uh, is, is just another way of saying that Christianity is a picture of the way the world actually is. So now we're using... Instead of narrative as a model to describe it, we're using a picture as a model to describe it. But I want you to think of the picture here as um, – as it's more like a puzzle, actually. It's a picture made up of pieces. So you think about Christianity. There's a lot of details. We have things about God and Jesus and, and incarnation and cross, and uh, there are miracles in there. There, there are covenants. Um, there are all these things tied together concepts like justification and propitiation and these theological things. So there's all these particulars. Okay. Human beings, human beings, beautiful. They're broken. They, they're on, uh, they're in rebellion to God. These are all bits and pieces. But you know what? For many Christians, they have never, ever put their puzzle together to be able to see the whole thing laid out in a coherent fashion. Now, if you've never put it all together, well, You, you don't, I mean, again, think of the metaphor of the puzzle. You, you don't know if you're missing pieces. If you've got a puzzle, you work it. Once you work it, you say, Hey, I'm missing five pieces. Where are those things? Okay. Also, sometimes if you work puzzles, you get picked pieces from other puzzles mixed in. And once you work the puzzle, you realize, well, this doesn't belong. And what I mean here is we get bits and pieces from other worldview stories kind of mixed in with Christianity that don't belong. Take, for example, reincarnation. There are actually people who identify themselves as Christians, but say they believe in reincarnation. That's a puzzle piece from a different puzzle. That's an Easter religion puzzle. That's not our puzzle. Yeah. And if you take reincarnation and try to plug it into Christianity, there is no place for it to fit. That is, it doesn't do any work for us. It's like trying to put a carburetor on a computer. Um And, 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 but people who are naive to the big story, they, uh, they, they don't see that. And so then they get misled. All right. By putting the story together, like the pieces of the puzzle in a coherent whole, like I do in the book, the story of reality, then this allows us to see the big picture and it, and it saves us from a lot of confusion.
0: Yeah. And that was actually the next point I was going to bring up is that what I found helpful with my students is, you know, I actually brought multiple puzzles into the classroom and said, you know, can't, you know, take pieces from different puzzles and said, like, can these physically fit together? And it's like, well, no, they can't. That's and right. to get that picture, with, I think a lot of people want to be kind of relativists or pluralists where, Hey, let's take pieces from each worldview and fit them together, but they just don't fit. You just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I think helpful is that I think you would agree that with every worldview, there are some missing pieces. There are some things that we just can't know. Um, But even with missing pieces, you can still see that this picture best fits reality than a different picture.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I haven't thought about that. Um, I I was thinking of it in, in a different sense that a worldview creates its own coherent picture of things. But there still are, and I agree, unanswered questions. And and the reason is. And I've said this before on my own show that um, life is messy, you know, knowledge is messy. And therefore, any worldview is going to have a little messiness to it. And that's true about Christianity. Uh, There are, uh, you know, loose, loose ends. There are uh, um, little gaps of information. And, you know, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis addressed this in Mere Christianity. And he said, uh, we should expect this. (laughs) Yeah. That is, if we're dealing with the God of the universe, there ought to be a a number of things that are just beyond us that we don't understand, that we can't figure out. And so that should be unsettling. The the issue for me is, how does Christianity as a story, as a worldview, stack up against the other worldviews? And I'll tell you, there's no comparison, in my view, to the way that Christianity um, answers the big questions in a way that's coherent. That in a way that's uh, consistent with our deepest intuitions about the way the world actually is. Um, there's no competition. The rest are so wildly counterintuitive, I, they, I, I'm not even open to considering them. Christianity yeah. does the be- best job of answering the questions.
0: Yeah, and it shouldn't, that shouldn't worry us that we have those kind of issues or, or unanswered questions, uh, because it still is the best explanation for the way things are.
1: Sure, and sometimes when we go on, we find the answers to those questions we used to have, and things get get kind of tidied up a bit as we learn more and time goes on. But that's just part of the process of learning. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm talking with Greg Kokel, Stand Reason, about his book, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And so um, now you kind of divide this book up into five main sections, God, Man, Jesus, Cross, and Resurrection. Right. Um, what kind of made those stand out as as kind of the main sections of the book
1: well i i think i mentioned earlier that um one thing that i wanted to do in the concept here is to is to answer the question what are the foundational things you have to believe to be a christian what are the unique features of christianity and those are the five things that that there are truths about each one of those things about god about man about uh jesus about the cross and about the final end of everything that are vital for people to know in order to have the, the, the core of the story. But I also realized that that represents the backbone of the Christian story. That is, it it's the plot. It's the uh, the most important things that happened in the order that they took place. And so in a certain sense, you could take each one of those words and you could put it on on the fingers of a hand and use it as a memory device to recall the basics of christianity in fact my my daughter who's now nine when she was six she could do these i mean god man jesus cross resurrection and uh... and so she had it memorized it's very very easy Mm -hmm. and if you think about it it works like this in the beginning god created that's the beginning of our story he created man to be in friendship with him but man did something that got himself in a heap of trouble and so God became a man himself to initiate a rescue operation in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus did some things in his life that culminated on a cross that will determine what happens to everyone in the final resurrection. There it yeah. is God on yeah. Jesus' cross resurrection. Yeah. So it's a perfect outline to the story, and it's easy to remember if you don't have your notes with you. Absolutely.
0: And so the story begins with God. Um, And there's something interesting that kind of really stood out to me uh, in your section on God uh, that I think may be a shock to some people, especially maybe the young people that I work with. Uh, But you said that the story is not about us. You know, we, we take these verses, you know, God has a plan for my life. And in fact, even uh, Brett Kunkel, one of your speakers, came to my school and, and and brought that up of how kind of we have this very selfish, maybe, attitude when we come to Christianity um,
1: yeah.
0: about God's plan for me. And it's all about me prospering. But you say, you know, the story is not about us. It's not so much about God's plan for your life as it is about your life for God's plan.
1: Yeah, I think that isn't uh, for millennials. <laughs> Especially, but all of us need to take counsel from that. This is a, uh, this is a, a, almost an earth-shaking revelation, if they get it. But it's true. The story starts with the main character, God, in the beginning, God, because the story is about God and God's purposes. What is the chief end of man, it says in the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, to, uh, to, I think it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, something to that effect. So the story is all about God. It's not about us. uh, Obviously, God cares for us, and he wants to be in friendship with us. He wants the best thing for us. But God's understanding of the best thing for us individually and the best thing for his world is very different from what we think is best for us. Mm-hmm. And if we have the idea that God is our, uh, a bellhop, if he's a Santa Claus, and he's just going to jump through our hoops as we just tell him what we want to do, what we want him to do to make us happy, boy, we have got the picture all wrong. And incidentally, uh, two days before the, the book came out, Um, the book, The Story of Reality, it was in the number one position in Christian discipleship in in new releases, okay, Um, that uh, hot new releases on Amazon kind of thing. This is before it actually released, but these are people ordering in advance. Number two was a Joel Osteen book, Hmm. and Joel Osteen is a guy who has a completely different understanding of what the story is all about. To him, the story is about us, not about God. It's about us. this. And and I was very happy to see that I kind of got one step ahead of Joel because uh, his 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 message is not the true message. Uh, the message in the story of reality is the true message, and um, and so uh, I, I it's very important that we understand that, or our Christian lives will never will never go right if we do not get that straight. God is in charge. It is His. Kingdom in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He made it. It's his. It's about his rulership over that which is rightfully his, which is everything because he made everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you make the same point in, in your chapter and your section on man is that we're not the center of the universe. Yeah. And I think it's so easy for Christians to read scripture and kind of either one input ourselves into the story um, and that, you know, it's kind of speaking about us Uh, or even to make the characters in the story um, the most important. You know, we think about these, you know, stories of David and Goliath, and it's all about David, not recognizing, no, it's not just about David, but God is the ultimate hero of the story working uh,
1: through David. Right, right. Hey, the best example of that is Joseph, because, boy, there's a story where you do not have triumphalism for his whole life, And in the end, everything changes, and you realize that God's purposes had been at work through the entire account of Joseph's Joseph's miserable life, so that God worked all the bad things for good, not just good for Joseph or good for his brothers, but good for God's purposes in history. That's what that was all about. And there are a lot of ways that God was working through his purposes to protect Israel from the Canaanite intermarrying. He brought them to Egypt and uh, and then built their numbers to, uh, you know, maybe a million fold to to strengthen them, even though they're in slavery. God is still building that nation. So God's purposes are bigger than ours.
0: Yeah. Well, I I want to kind of jump forward in your book a little bit, because uh, there's a point that you made that I think is so uh, important for people to understand and so I want to make sure that we have some time to discuss it, is that you have a, a chapter titled Trust uh, in the section on the cross. Right. And you you give um, a reason why you want to use the word trust rather than faith. Can you explain that to those listening?
1: Yeah, there's actually a lot going on in that chapter. And um, I it, it is right after the cross, because at the end of me talking about the cross, I mentioned that, uh, what Jesus has done for us is something that we can receive. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We receive it humbly on bended knee. We must simply trust him for it. And this is what the story um, means by, by the word faith. Now, I don't like the word faith, Ryan, because I think it has the English word. It's not the concept. It's the English word has been corrupted for uh, any usefulness to us nowadays because people automatically want to add words like blind or leap of to the concept of faith. Mm-hmm. I make the the point in that chapter that what the story is calling for is that we trust in Jesus. Boy, when you say trust, now that conveys a different notion because and that's what the word in the Greek means. It means act of trust. Yeah. Um, But when it's translated faith nowadays, we get a different sense of it. Trust, boy, that's something that's earned. And it needs to be earned, too, because we are are not, and I make this point in that chapter, we are not saved by faith. Big misunderstanding. We are saved by Jesus Hmm. in whom we put our faith. Oh, Oh, yeah, I get it now. I get what you're going after. And the point is that faith saves no one. The guys who flew the planes into the Twin Towers back in 9-11, they had more faith than I do, but they weren't saved because they had invested their faith, their trust in the wrong thing. They Look, you can walk out on the ice of a, uh, of a lake, and with all the confident faith in the world, oh man, we're covered, I'm walking right out, but if it's thin ice, you're going to get wet. And by the same token, people are trusting with all the faith in the world, all kinds of things. Um, that won't hold them and uh, it's the false hope that they have. So it's not the trust. It's, it's not it's not faith that are at leap of its trust, but it's not just trust. It's trust in a person who can do the job. We have to. It's not just a scent, You know, it's like you can think an airplane going to take you somewhere, but you don't ex- exercise trust in it until you get on the plane. Now you're exercising real trust, but the plane's got to have a pilot. That's capable of flying it to yeah. the destination you're going to. And so those are the kind of metaphors that I work with in that chapter on trust to help people get a clear sense of the of, of why it is in Christianity that the facts matter and why evidence matters. Yeah.
0: So what would you say to someone who kind of defines faith as, you know, it's believing in something that maybe we're not quite sure about or that we don't quite know yet or something like that?
1: Well, you have just brought a different concept in. You brought knowledge into the equation. There may be a lot of things that we believe are true and therefore trust in them, but we're not sure they're true. Okay, that's a different issue, and that's where apologetics comes in. But that's very different from saying um, it is just my mere belief, regardless of the truth of it, that is the most important thing. That's the relativizing thing. I want people to see that when we believe, we're believing something is true. Okay, that's the kind of that's what we mean by that, Christianity. Okay. It is the story of reality. But we have reasons to believe that our beliefs are actually so that they're knowledge and not just blind faith. Okay.
0: And that you kind of I think talk about in that chapter as well of just with the cross and giving kind of the four pieces of evidence for the resurrection. And that Jesus is historical person that lived in history he's not a myth uh he's not you know we we hear this analogy of dying and rising gods and and you discuss that a little bit uh in the in this in the section Uh, right how would you respond you know what what were the kind of the keys to understand of showing that jesus isn't like these dying and rising gods
1: well um these are references to gods uh, of the ancient near eastern pantheons that some have suggested bare similarities in their stories to the story of Jesus. And if you go on the Internet, you're going to find all kinds of nonsense. They had 12 disciples. They were born of a virgin. They were born on December 25th. You know, they died a, They died and rose again and all this other stuff. Well, when you, I've actually written an article on of this, of this you can get from uh, str.org, and it's called Recycled Redeemer. And when you go back to these ancient stories, forget about the internet, you know, people are just repeating things that other people say. You go back to the ancient stories themselves, to the primary source documents, you find that there are virtually no similarities of any kind to the person of Jesus of Nazareth. It's just not similar. And And the ones that we find where there does seem to be some kind of suspicious similarity, these are from documents that actually show up after Jesus, not before. So it almost looks like they're copying from him rather than the other way around. Yeah. So th- there is just no substance to that challenge.
0: That's a great point. And so we, we have about four minutes left. Man, this has gone by so quick. I wish we had more time. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to encourage you all, you, you need to pick up this book. It is a great book. Um, but in your section on man, uh, you talk about the fact that we are broken, uh, that there's something – That is not right with the way that we are. And I think this is one of those things that really hits home with a lot of people with this idea of the problem of evil with pain and suffering because it's very emotional and it really, um, you know, has that connection. Um, and, and you go through reasons that I think are very helpful to think about, of, of sufficient reasons of, of why God may allow evil and that sort of thing. right? Um, but as I was kind of going over this, I, I posted something online, and, and I got an objection from uh, an atheist that I have frequent discussions with. Um, but he said, you know... Why didn't God just make us smarter with, with higher IQs and better moral reasoning? Then we could still have free will, but we'd just be, we would be morally better if we were smarter and had better, better moral reasoning.
1: Um, uh, this, this presumes that smart people are more moral. Yeah. And you and I both know, and so does your atheist friend, that that's simply not the case. Hitler was brilliant. He was a brilliant man. There's no getting around that. Anybody who studied his life and his, his, his whole lives to power and everything is brilliant. But, you know, he was a deeply immoral person. And you can have very simple people that is it, it, simple in terms of their intellect or their IQ that are deeply virtuous people. The two are completely unrelated. So that's my first response. It's not making people smarter. Um, arguably, Adam was really smart because he wasn't tainted by the fall and he still chose the wrong thing. Okay. Secondly, um, whenever anybody asks the question "Why didn't God?" or they start a question with those words, the answer is almost always "I don't know," and that is not any liability to our view. Just because we don't know why God didn't do some counterfactual—that is, why he didn't do something that that uh, he didn't do. Doesn't in any way impinge on the credibility of our worldview. Hmm. Well, could God done it this way? Well, probably, but he didn't. Why not? I don't know. He didn't tell me, but that doesn't change the facts. And see, atheists often think that if they can ask a question about why it wasn't a different way and they get no answer, that somehow they've substantiated their own case. It's not the case. Hmm. It, it does no good to the atheist Cause, when a Christian can't answer why God didn't do it a different way.
0: And would you say that claiming to, you know, to know, or, or at least saying, well, why didn't God do it this way is almost like saying, Hey, I know a better way of doing it. Um, as if kind of saying in, in our limited finite knowledge that we know better than the one that is unlimited in his knowledge.
1: Well, he might be saying, uh, we know, uh, he said, well, um, we know a better way than what your story says. And so therefore this is why your story may not be true. He's not saying I know better than God, but it's interesting though, even in the point that he made, it's pretty clear that he doesn't know better Yeah, because there's the the problem. It's clear. The problem isn't intelligence. Smart people are bad. Dumb people can be good. It's unrelated. So he's just missed the point there. Awesome. Well, that kind
0: of wraps up our time. I wish we could keep going, but this is a great book that, kind of paints the picture of reality it's something that I think all Christians as we mentioned need to understand and see how the puzzle pieces fit together when we look at God man Jesus the cross and resur- and resurrection and so for those of you listening uh, you need to go get at this book the story of reality how the world began how it ends and everything that uh, important that happens in between you find it on str.org or on Amazon. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today.
1: Well, it's been a lot of fun, Ryan. Thank you, buddy.
0: Well, for those of you listening, thank you for listening. Again, if you have any comments or questions, you can contact me with that information. Uh, I'm excited to start this new year with you all um, and continue this show. Thank you for listening and supporting and just being an encouragement. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This has been Coffee House Questions with Ryan Collins. won't hesitate to follow your love will guide my
1: way.